Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. Let's get to our guest, Chuck Camillo. He is with us. Chuck is president and CEO of Essex Financial Services. He joins a line from Connecticut, where they're voting on a couple of uh, key races tonight, not the least of which governor, I believe, uh, also um Mr. Uh, Blumenthal is up for re-election, but we won't talk politics right now, Chuck. Let's talk uh, crypto. Were you surprised by this meltdown that we saw across the board? Something as simple as Binance Holdings saying, hey, I'm going to take over a rival, and look what happened. Yeah, there's there's a lot going on there, and, and I would say it's the latest uh, the latest bit of bad news to an industry that's had an awful lot of it so far this year, and especially the fact that it involved you know Sam Bankman-Fried, who until this event has been sort of the backstop, if you will, to the industry. Uh, but I think listen, what you had here was a good old fashioned run on the bank. You know, as soon as uh, CZ, the Binance CEO, said they were liquidating, uh, you know, FTT, which is the token that's native to FTX. I mean. They've lost, you know, 80% of its value, $2 billion gone, and uh, obviously that's a deal that was done under duress, uh, given the, the liquidity crunch that FTX had. What does it show us about, I guess, the broader picture in terms of, you mentioned there, that liquidity crunch that we know CZ Zhao said uh, he was seeing as well, just in terms of some of these bigger concerns that we are facing on the global economy? Well, you know, I think if you look at it, right, I mean, th- think about all the various sort of long-duration assets, if you will. If you think about what tech stocks have done, uh, you know, especially, uh, I don't mean the Microsofts and the Amazons of the world, even though they're down, you know, 40-some-odd percent, especially for Amazon. But, you know, for some of these small tech stocks or tech stocks that aren't going to make money for years, if no, if God knows when, um, you know, you can throw digital assets right in that same boat. We, in a very challenging interest rate environment, um, they're the ultimate long-duration asset, and that is the asset that is suffering the most in this market environment that we have right now. So I can't say I'm surprised by it. I mean, also, if you put it in, in perspective, I mean, at one point, Netflix was down more than Bitcoin. You know, back in 2000, 2001, you know, during the, the dot-com bust, I mean, Amazon's drawdown was 90%. So, I mean, it's acting just like any other sort of long-duration speculative asset right now. Um, and we've seen these crypto winners before, and uh, time's going to tell, but it, it's a, certainly a challenging environment for that asset um, in this this macroeconomic environment that we're in. So, Chuck, as you saw, the, the sell-off in uh, these crypto-related assets uh, precipitated a lot of buying in the havens of the precious metals rally today. Uh, treasuries were up, uh, yields across the curve moving lower. Do you think on the yield side of the story, this is kind of a temporary phenomenon very quickly? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think so. I mean, I think we're going to see hopefully things stabilize a little bit. But, you know, Bitcoin is, is if you look at it by GBTC, right, I mean, that's down 65%. Gold is down 8.8. So um, it being crypto and Bitcoin being a digital gold, I, I certainly don't think that's the case. And this year so far has borne that out. So looking at uh, these moves in the bond market and particularly an outperformance there on the seven-year Treasury, when does the Fed pivot? You say the word pivot is this year's transitory. 
Yeah, I, I heard that the other day. I thought it, I thought it resonated, uh, given how many times the word pivot is being used so far this year, and you, if you compare that to how many times the word transitory was being used last year, I, I think you're gonna, I think you're gonna see the Fed start to change course after one of two things happens, right? One is, you know, you get to positive real rates. I mean, um, Fed funds, you know, usually, you know, for the Fed to sort of curb inflation and get ahead of things, the Fed funds rate is going to be higher than CPI. Well, we're, right now the Fed funds rates at four and CPI is at eight point two. So we have a, we have a ways to go there, and I think we'll see most likely when CPI comes out this week that coming down a little bit. Um, and again, their their dual mandate of employment, and right now you know the unemployment rates at three point seven with ten million open jobs. Um, you know that that at this point um, you know isn't a particular issue, but if you start to see unemployment really start to rise and employment become an issue then that might also give you the catalyst for the Fed all of a sudden to pause and take a look at what they've already done and decide perhaps it's time to maybe just take a little bit of a break. So the reopening in China is another important story beyond what we're talking about with respect to the Fed. As you know, Chuck, last week, I mean, it was stunning to see the performance in the market in Hong Kong. Friday alone, we saw a gain of something greater than 5% yesterday. The Hang Seng was up about 2.7%. But now we've got word, Ed just mentioned it, the situation with the COVID zero policy on the mainland. Guangzhou uh, locking down a second district uh, from 9 a.m. today. Beijing now with the highest daily level of new COVID cases in five months. It doesn't appear as though we're near the end of the story in China. And how does that affect your decision making when you put money to work in global markets? Yeah, well, well, listen, I mean, investing in China right now is not for the faint of heart. And and listen, there's been many um, articles written and conversation had that, you know, is China, quite honestly, at this point, uninvestable. Um, and, and obviously, China has a very big impact on the global economy, especially on commodities um, and a, a host of other things. But when you're looking at global markets, to be completely candid, we're very much U.S. biased right now. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're certainly not perfect, but in terms of the issues that Europe is dealing with and with on any given day what China is doing or not doing, um, I think you're right now much better to sort of lean a little bit closer to home in the U.S. On, with your investment dollars until, you know, things get a little bit more sorted out uh, in Europe vis-a-vis, you know, the, the challenging situation they're faced with this crisis in Ukraine. Um, and then again, on any given day, your guess is as good as mine as what China's going to do. And so where are you looking specifically in the U.S.? I know you're looking at the energy sector. Yeah, listen, energy continues to be, you know, it's been, it, energy's been the best performing S&P sector of the last 3, 5, 10, 20, 65, 125, 250, and 500 days. Um, but yet it has a very small amount of actually inflows that are heading into it compared to technology. So energy certainly in an inflationary environment and with low PEs and they are just printing and minting cash, you know, right now, you want to be buying companies that are making money, not losing money, not might make money, the ones that are actually making money. So good, strong dividend-paying stocks, strong free cash flow, strong balance sheets, dividend aristocrat-type stocks, um, again, will tend to do well in this environment. And, and things like energy at this point have done well, are doing well right now, and in this, you know, this uh, imbalance we have with supply and demand, which will just get worse once China starts to get back online, uh, it, it still seems to be a very compelling sector. So very quickly, Chuck, 30 seconds or so, what, what do the midterm elections mean for markets? 
Well, you know, the, the market more than anything wants some certainty, right? And I think, uh, you know, we'll see how this day and probably <laughs> to be candid the next few days pan out as they count all the votes. Uh, but, you know, I think just having it behind will be a very good thing. Um, I think the market probably would have been most impacted if it was a Democratic sweep. And all of a sudden, you know, there's there's not a lot more checks and balances in place. But you know, the market tends to do well in a gridlock split, um, you know, split, you know, executive and legislative branches scenario. So I, I think it'll just be happy that it's over. I think mm-hmm. we've seen this nice rally. You usually get a nice bump in the market. Happy after that the it's over. Chuck Camillo, thank you. President and CEO at Essex Financial Services for us from Connecticut. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.